Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Hey guys, welcome to a special online weekend at Milestone Church. It's my honor to join you today in your living room, in your car, on vacation, or from wherever you're watching from. Our services, well, they're online every weekend, but this weekend is unique because our entire Keller campus is online only uh, due to the construction activity that's taking place here on site. So it's just us today. No live audience, just you and me. A little quieter here in the room, but I know you're dialed in and you're ready to receive. And good news, like my kids say, I laugh at my own jokes anyway, so it's, it's gonna be fun. If you don't know this already, I wanna tell you something. We are coming to the closing stretch of the Beyond Expansion Project. We've increased parking, we built an additional children's building, we're expanding the commons, and we will soon be adding 900 seats to the worship center. I can't wait, it's coming. So thank you, Milestone. Thank you for your generosity and for putting up with this temporary inconvenience this weekend. It's gonna be so worth it. It's gonna be so worth it when we see all the new people that are reached for Christ, and we see our kids thriving in their new ministry environments. Let's pray together as we get going. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friend watching. I pray, Lord, you'd use me. Use your word, Lord, to communicate truth to them, to understand better your unshakable kingdom. Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in week seven of our Unshakable series. Man, I've learned so much in this series and I hope you have too. The goal from the very beginning has been to take a big, maybe even a hard to grasp concept, the kingdom of God, and to unpack it, to help you see where it impacts your daily life. We want the kingdom of God to go from an abstract concept to a concrete foundation that we build our lives on. Today, we'll be looking in the Bible at Matthew 16 and Daniel chapter three. But let's start with the theme verse for the Unshakable series, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. After seven weeks of messages, small groups, and going through the study guide, talking about the kingdom of God, I hope you're starting to see it. See, the kingdom of God is one of those things that when you see it, you see it. You see everything through it. But it takes a focus to see it and to see your world through it. Personally, when I think about keeping the kingdom in focus, it reminds me of those magic eye picture books and posters. Do you remember these things? They were huge in the 90s. I mean, they were everywhere. Now to fill in everyone under the age of 40, there are these, these colorful abstract picture designs. But when you stare at the abstract picture, when you stare just the right way, you could see a hidden image. I hated these things, not for any artistic reason, but because I couldn't see them. I used to feel so dumb. People would be like, you know, oh, cool. Do you, do you see it? Wow. I'd be squinting. I'd be looking, I'd be trying. And then eventually I'd just lie. I'd be like, yeah, I see it. Oh, so cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you, you tell me what you see and I'll tell you what I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah, big dog. Yeah, big dog. Oh, no, small dog? Oh, yeah, small dog. I mean, it's, it's, it's bigger than my dog. <laughs> I never saw it. And when you don't see it, what happens is you become someone's project. The seers start coaching the non-seers. You, have, you may have been a seer. You'd say things to me like, you know, pick a fixed point, relax your eyes, stare at the glare, don't look at it, look through it. You know, you're trying too hard. Man, I get so mad. These pictures, they have a scientific name. They're called autostereograms. The inventor found that you can hide a three-dimensional image behind a two-dimensional image. And when our stereoipsis kicks in, this three-dimensional image pops out. Well, it's supposed to, doesn't for me. But catch this with me. In the same way, we as Christians, we have a different way of seeing the world. We don't have a, a magic eye. We have a kingdom eye. A kingdom eye that sees through the culture, through the peripheral issues, to see the kingdom pushing through the surface. No matter what is happening around us, no matter how dark, no matter the pressure, we see the unshakable kingdom of God. Since we we're all watching online this weekend, our awesome creative team did something special for you and your family. They created our very own hidden image. You can check it out on our website along with other great kids resources. And, and if you see what it is, somebody please tell me. This week, we are answering the question, how does God's kingdom respond to darkness? We live in a dark culture. I don't know if we can say our culture is darker than other cultures throughout history or darker than biblical times, but there's no question. We're living in a dark culture and it will try to shake you. For those of you who are already Christians, it's a lot of you watch and I know the culture tries to shake you up and we feel it. We feel it when evil is celebrated, Jesus is insulted. We feel it when Things that are wrong are said to be right and things that are right are said to be wrong. We feel it when the things that we deeply value as Christians are devalued by the culture. And probably the biggest one, we feel it when we see the culture impacting our kids, impacting our grandkids. But what we've been learning and we'll learn more today is that even in the darkness, there is hope. And there will always be hope in the unshakable kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus takes his disciples to the darkest place in their culture, a region called Caesarea Philippi. It's located about 40 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Temples were built at this site and it was used in all sorts of lewd pagan festivals, vulgar immorality, and even sacrifice. Not just animal sacrifice, I know we have families watching together, so I won't paint the whole picture. I'm talking about dark stuff. It's in this spot, in the shadows of this darkness, Jesus asked his disciples a defining question, starting in verse 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter saw who Jesus truly was, the Christ, the Son of God. He also learned in that moment who he truly was when Jesus defined him, naming him Peter. And then Jesus, he unveils his kingdom plan to build his unstoppable church. In that setting, it's like Jesus is saying, it may look dark, it may look pretty bad, pretty impossible all around us, but know who I am, know who you are, and see what I'm about to do through my church. Jesus saw the hope of the world that was to come through his church, how his church would push past and push back the darkness. Today, we're answering the question, how does God's kingdom respond to darkness? But I wanna make it more personal for you. As a member of God's kingdom, most of you listening are already followers of Jesus. So I wanna ask you this, how do you respond to darkness? If you are a Christian and part of God's kingdom here on earth, how do you respond? What's the proper kingdom response to these things that we feel that offend us, that bother us, that even scare us? As we think about that question, I want us to look in the Bible at an incredible story in the book of Daniel chapter three. Here we will see the story of three young men who stood on their kingdom convictions in the middle of a dark culture. But to catch you up in this story, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, he conquers the city of Jerusalem. He then ordered that the sharpest members of the conquered royal family and the nobility, that they be exiled or, or taken to Babylon to serve on his court. He basically said, I won, now send the best of the best to come serve me. So three of these young studs sent to Babylon were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But as soon as they got there, they were given Babylonian names. You may recognize them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They performed very well in the king's court. They continued to honor God, yet still served this pagan king. In fact, the Bible says God gave them knowledge and understanding, and they were 10 times better than any other officials in the king's service. They were doing well until... King Nebuchadnezzar builds a 90-foot idol. That's tall. And here's what he wants. He wants for everyone in the kingdom, when the music plays, to bow down and worship this gigantic idol. And he's excited about it. In Daniel 3, on the big day, the opening dedication, he brings out all of his royal court, the advisors and officials, you know, there's probably a lot of pageantry going on here. It's a big deal. You don't build an eight-story statue overnight. Everybody's coming out to see it. People are probably impressed, talking to each other like, man, this is big. Yeah, it's, it's real big. You see it? It's big. Yeah, big. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's especially excited. All these officials of the VIP section, they're excited. And amongst the officials, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the administrators of the province of Babylon. That's their official title. So you know, they're, they're, they're up close. They're probably too close. Get too close to saying, I mean, it's kind of, but, but can you imagine what they might be feeling? What they might be thinking? How, how did we get here? How did God let this happen? 
They conquered our city, destroyed our religious institution, our culture, our customs. They even changed our names. And here we are serving this foreign pagan king and his massive idol. But then it begins in Daniel 3, verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Right after he says this, the music starts to play and everyone just hits the ground. Just a rustle rumble as a sea of people collapse to the ground. Everyone's down except three Jewish boys remain standing. They'd already been through a lot of things they didn't like, they didn't agree with, things that insulted their faith. But this stance today was not something they had an opinion about. Since they were young boys, they knew the second commandment in Exodus 20, you shall not make an idol or bow down and worship any idols. This was not a matter of opinion. This was a clear biblical conviction and they were ready to stand. Of course, there are consequences. There are some haters, other officials who call them out and the king confronts them for not bowing. He even offers them a second chance. In verse 16, but Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. The king was furious at their response and Immediately, he commands for the furnace to be cranked up seven times hotter and to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. They threw them in the furnace, but it did not go as expected. In verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Most all theologians agree that this was Jesus in the fire with them. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. What an amazing story. Ever since I was a kid, I've been inspired by the courage of these young men. 
And it really makes you ask the question, would I have stood that day? Or you ask yourself, would you have been willing to stand knowing what it might cost you? Thousands and thousands of people, the weight of the popular culture just bearing down on you. I'm sure there were, there were others that bowed that day and they wished they hadn't. Sure, they justified it, just like we do with all compromises. They say things like, you know, I didn't bow. I just happened to be sitting down when the music started. <laughs> or no, no, I didn't. I, I was just, I was just tightening up my Birkenstocks. You know, I, I wasn't bowing. I was just tightening it up so I could, you know, stand strong. No, I get it. It's hard to stand. As the culture gets louder and darker, it gets even harder. And this brings us to a big question. I want to try to help you answer. How do I confidently stand and be a light in a dark world? It's not easy, but you can do it. And I want to unpack my favorite part of this story from Daniel, and I'm going to help you see. The first thing is this. God's word, not opinions, form our convictions. In verse 16, I love what they said. They said, we don't need to defend ourselves. See, the reason they don't need to defend themselves is because it's not their opinion. It's not their position to defend. Not bowing down and worshiping idols. That was settled issues long time ago, long time ago in their heart. That would violate the top two of the Ten Commandments in one shot. So notice, they didn't make a fuss when their names were changed. That probably would have riled me up pretty good, messing with who I am. Uh, they didn't protest that. But bowing and worshiping an idol, that's not going to happen. The number of people willing to bow, the weight of the consequences, the social repercussions, they weren't going to change their conviction on that. There may be things in your life, at work, at school, in relationships, that you don't like, but they aren't essential biblical commands or teachings. They may be opinions or preferences and you need to learn to flow while honoring your personal convictions. But when it comes to the big stuff, Jesus, marriage, sexuality, murder, adultery, like these types of things, like just like these guys, you, you don't need to defend yourself because it's not your opinion. It's biblical truth. God can defend himself. And his greatest defense is when someone like you confidently stands on biblical truth. Confidently standing, but clothed with love, kindness, and compassion. So rather than aggressively trying to convince the world to believe what we believe, we need to first convince them that we believe what we believe. And we do that through love. Our memory verse in your guide this week is 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So first off, remember, God's word, not opinions, form our convictions. The second thing I want you to get is this. Our confidence is in God, not in ourselves. These guys had a real kingdom confidence. They said, the God we serve is able. They didn't know what the outcome would be but they stood confidently knowing what it could be because they serve a God who is able. With the right kingdom view, no matter the situation trying to shake you up, you can stand confidently 
because you know who the king is and who you are to the king. You're a child of God and God loves us and he looks after his children. Just like Jesus stood with those men in the fire, he'll stand with you when the heat turns up. You may be in a situation right now where you're feeling cultural pressure, turning the heat up. Maybe it's your work, it's your school. Maybe you feel it through your social channels or media or even your family. When you feel the heat, ask Jesus to be there with you and you'll find a confidence in him. The final way we confidently stand is this. We have an unwavering eternal resolve. One of the most powerful phrases in this story, and one of my favorite in all of scripture, is when they said that God will deliver them from the furnace, but even if he does not, we are not going to bow. This is, this is just beast mode kingdom mindset. It's like, what else you got? I'm playing a different game than you. You can't, you can't touch me. I know it's heavy, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were ready to give up their lives. It doesn't look like they even thought twice about it. Wow. See, the most powerful resolve in the heart of a kingdom-minded Christian is their unwavering eternal perspective. It's supernatural confidence that points people to Christ. In good times, yes, but even in hard times, dark times, our light, it shines even brighter. See, I've read, I've read the end of the book and we win. And we win because Jesus wins, we win. We have a hope of eternity with Christ. We have a hope that everything will be made right by him. No matter what pain, what injustice, what you're going through, it will be made right by him in eternity. Even King Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the Babylonian world power, he saw the testimony of these men and came to this understanding. In Daniel 4, 3, he says this, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. His kingdom is eternal and endures from generation to generation. I know we worry about our kids and grandkids, future kids, but hear that again. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Parent, grandparent, future parent, listen to me. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were next generation leaders. They took a stand against idol worship. It was the number one thing plaguing their culture for hundreds of years. And from that point forward in the Bible, it becomes a relative non-issue for the Jewish people. The culture tried to attack their identity and change their names to Babylonian names of pagan gods, but they still remembered who they were. Their true identity stood strong through it all. Shadrach, he remembered his name was Hananiah, which means God protects. Meshach, remember his name was Mishael, which means who is like God. He's a lot of that guy in the fire. And then Abednego, he remembered his name is Azariah. God will help. And he sure did. Last week, my daughter, she came home from Elevate. That's our next generation student ministry gathering on Wednesday nights here at Milestone. And she showed me this picture she took. 
It's a picture of hundreds of students holding up their phone lights as a demonstration of the impact that they can make in the darkness when the light of Jesus shines through them. This isn't a magic eye picture, but I want you to see through this picture and see what it's really a picture of. This is a small picture of what Jesus saw coming a couple thousand years ago, his plan to build his church and impact the darkness. You see these students, you see the lights on their phones, but look deeper, you'll see that these are young people confidently shining the light of Jesus in their generation. Jesus' plan, it also looks like this picture, picture of Jeff and Lindsay. They were invited a milestone by several coworkers and finally decided to come. This last week at our Discovery 101 class, during the prayer of salvation, both of their hands went up indicating they had prayed to receive Jesus. It wasn't until after the prayer that they looked up and they saw that they had both given their lives to Jesus. This is how Jesus builds his church and pushes past, pushes back the darkness. All it takes is one light in the school, in the classroom, on the team, in the friend group. All it takes is a light in the office, in the neighborhood, and the kingdom starts to make an impact. Wherever you are, at least in that place, you can make the difference. You can be the light. Stand confidently and be a light for Jesus. Love, serve, encourage, be kind, be generous, be gracious. When you do this, I promise you'll stand out. But when they see you, when they look a little deeper, they'll see Jesus in you. I wanna close by reading Jesus' words over you from Matthew chapter five. He said this, starting here in verse 14, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill, it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for my friend watching here with me that today, Lord, that God, they would have a better revelation, understanding of your unshakable kingdom in their life, that they'd be able to stand in conviction, the truth of your word in whatever situation they're facing, whatever heat they're feeling. God, give them a resolve to stand confidently in you with confidence that comes from you and the eternal perspective, knowing that you are King of Kings, Lord of Lords, you'll make all things right. God, I also wanna pray for someone watching that maybe they don't know you. And if that's you today, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's this easy. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's you and you want a relationship with Jesus today, just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I wanna make you the Lord of my life. I believe you rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and I thank you for forgiving my sins. I invite you to come live inside of me. I'm excited for the hope of eternity with you. Lord Jesus, we wanna honor you. as We wanna be lights in the darkness. Lord, use us, use our church family to represent you to the lost world in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.